Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Before we get into the message, I got one announcement. Those of you that have killed deer, um, the tenderloins and the backstrap are tied to the Lord. <laughs> and you can give that to the pastor's office. Amen. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, the Lord is going to take us a little bit in a different direction this morning. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Very familiar passages of scripture, starting with verse 28 through 30. You may, may remain seated for the reading of the word. You've been standing quite a while this morning. <clears throat> There's a solemn presence here this morning. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I just pray your blessings, Father. You know where I'm at right here this morning. You know how you're leading me. I pray, God, that you would give me the unction to speak by the anointing and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And may God, the results that you desire to happen in this place happen this morning. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak today on a very simple subject. A matter of fact, it's possibly that it's one of the most simple gospel sermons that you've ever heard within your life. There's nothing profound about this message whatsoever, but the fact that salvation is the most profound thing in all of the world. And matter of fact, in its simplicity, there is profoundness. It's odd how that something can be so simple but yet so profound at the very same time. And that's what I find about the simplicity of the word of God. And today as I stand here, I just want to speak today on the subject, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's our answer. Come to Jesus. I, I love the scripture that is found in the book of James chapter 4 verse 8 where he says, draw nigh unto God and then God will draw nigh unto you. I love those invitations. I even love the thought that if I can just resist the devil and draw nigh to God, then God will draw. If I resist the devil, he will flee from me. The Bible gives me that open invitation. And up in the early, early morning, the Lord began to deal with me. And I, I, just, I just got to this message. I don't know where it's going. I have no idea. I will never even preach it the way I put it together or the way that it, I, I, I constructed it. Because the Lord just began to deal with me that there are two people here in specifically, not that the message is just for them, but there are two people that God really wants to minister here today. I am so burdened that I don't even know if I can even get the words out. I felt what they felt all night wallowing in my bed or in the morning hours. And I prayed and I thought, oh God, that there are people hurting like that in our building. Please do something. And, I, and he, he began to just let me feel what they felt. There's someone here this morning and you're feeling like that you're ignored or, or that your life is, has no purpose. You're, you just feel like that you're just an empty, empty vessel. You're, you're, you feel rejected somewhat, but mainly of all misunderstood. You're un, you feel like you're uncared for and as a result, you're lonely and you remain mainly isolated into yourself. And I felt the loneliness and I felt the rejection and I felt how they felt so empty and so lost. 
and felt like that there was nothing there for them and the thoughts in their mind is the same as the other person who's living in a total different world, but it's as if God don't care. God won't do it for me. God will do it for everybody else, but I'm, a, I'm an isolated case. I, 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 you know, I'm not worthy subject. I'm, I'm not able to receive the things of God. I've tried. I've, I've done everything I know to do, but nothing really happens in my life like it happens in everybody else's life. I know that that's the most miserable feeling in the world. I feel that pain with you this morning. Then there's somebody else here this morning. You're very frustrated in life. You've been hurt. You've been bruised emotionally. You've been wounded. And as a result, you're angry. You're bitter. You're mad. You're upset. You've shut down. And at times, you just want to scream. And at times, you just want vengeance. You want things to be right, but you feel so ugly so tight inside that you again think, God don't care. I'm done. I'm washed up. I'm through. I love the testimony today, and I know whose testimony that is. How they even became angry at God and how that they didn't think that God would come through for them. But you heard the testimony this morning, didn't you? How that God came through for that precious person. And I just want to tell you right here today, before I get any further into this message, at any given time, those of you that I've spoken about, if you really want delivered, you come run to this altar, we'll stop this service just for you and we'll see God do a miracle in your life. Give me some help up here right now. Would you stand to your feet, people?
Oh, come on, church, give them praise. The Lord's free here today. Oh, they can praise him all they like. Woo! I don't know how much for that I'm going to get the message because I knew I was to come just for them two people. I tell you, I wanted that all morning long. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you may be seated in, in, the, in, in the sanctuary this morning. And if you're in this house this morning or in this building and you have a care, I want you before this service is over to bring that care to Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him because he careth for you. And not only that, the Bible tells us in John 6 and 37 that whosoever cometh to him, he would in no wise cast out. How many believes that God will receive you when you come to him here today? Amen. Our text is a very, very uh, familiar portions of Scripture. It's well-worn and it's well-used, but I think it's very important in the times in which we're living in. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First of all, in 40 years of preaching, I have searched the Word of God over and over and over, and I have never found anyone that has ever come to Jesus and was turned away. I cannot find one example in the Word of God where somebody came to Jesus and Jesus snubbed them or Jesus ignored them or Jesus turned them away. Jesus gave invitations to individuals many times. He gave an invitation, invitation to Philip when he said, follow me. He gave an invitation to Matthew to leave the secrecy of customs and when he said, follow me. He gave invitations to his disciples when he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But in our text, is the first general invitation. It was the first invitation that was inclusive that Jesus Christ actually gave within the word of God. He said, come unto me all ye. Don't you like that word all ye? And that means all of us. It don't matter if you're male or female, black, white, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, sick, healthy. It does not matter. I want you to know this scripture gives us an all-clusive invitation to all of us that are labor and heavy laden that we can come to to Jesus Christ and find rest for our souls. Some will disagree with me, but no one has ever came to Jesus and was turned away or rejected. Some might say, well, how about the rich young ruler in Scripture when he came to Jesus? Was he not turned away or rejected by Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible even says that he walked away from him being sorrowful. Let's look at this just for a moment. He came to Jesus and he said, good master, what good thing must I do that I might inherit eternal life? First of all, that was his first mistake. You don't do anything to inherit eternal life. Eternal life is a gift of God. Why is it that we, the church, cannot get over this work syndrome? We work, we work, we labor, we labor, we try to match up, we try to... You'll never match up within yourself. Quit trying. So so much of the time we just sit around and we, we, we beat ourselves up, we fall in false condemnation, we feel all kinds of guilt because somebody does something better than what I do. You get them people up on the platforms and they sing like a metal art and I get up and crow like a crow and I feel inferior and it feels like everything you do is less than everybody else and everybody does everything with a spirit of excellent perfection and I just bum around as an old country boy banging and beating like a bull in a china cabinet doing what I can do for the Lord. But the truth of the matter is it's not about my performance. It's about his banner of love over my life and my I love for him. 
Can I have an amen? Somebody needs to stand up and shout in the Lord. This thing ain't about works. Can I have an amen? I don't know what the Lord's wanting to say here today, folks. I don't even have a sermon. I just got an itch to preach and I'm going to do it. Is that all right? I tell you, the Lord's just laid this stuff in my spirit here this morning. Titus 3 and 5 says, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us. It's by the wonderful mercies of God. And aren't you glad for a whole chapter of, of uh, Psalms 119, it's about the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. And aren't you glad that the mercy of God is new every morning? That every morning that we wake up, there's the mercy of God staring us in the face. The devil would tell you you're no good. The devil will tell you you'll never make it. The devil will tell you you're, you're an outcast. The devil told that little woman in the testimony of how that it was too late of her calling. Oh, Hogwarts, it's never too late. You can still be buried in a tomb four days later. Jesus will come by and show the devil it's never too late. Can I have an amen? It's by the mercies of God that we exist here this morning. Salvation is a gift of God's eternal grace. It's his undeserved, unmerited favor that gives salvation to man, not of works, lest any of us should boast. I love what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We don't climb up the ladder by our works. We don't earn a certain favor with God by what we do but we enter into the door that has been opened to all of us and that door is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the door to the sheep gate. Can I have an amen? And can I tell you, if any man tries to go any other way up to heaven other than through the door, the open door, Jesus Christ, he's the same as a thief and a robber. I like what Jesus said in John 14, verse six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He the, the, and no man goeth unto the Father except by him. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way in a relationship with God. He's the only way to be forgiven. He's the only way to have favor with God. He's the only one that gives you unmerited favor and grace. You don't earn it. You can't work for it. There's not a possible enough that you do to try to get it. It's by your relationship in Jesus and your devoted love in him that he gives you the unmerited favor of God. Can I have an amen? This young rich ruler came to him and wondered what he had to do to receive eternal life. And there's a lot of people today trying in themselves to receive eternal life. They're trying to earn it, work for it, muster up, match up. How many's ever done that? Come on. Some of you don't even think God hears you when you pray because you don't pray the length that you think you should pray. Some of you can read two or three chapters in the Word of God and feel condemned. I didn't read enough. God, ha, ha, you know, it don't matter what you do, it's never enough by the devil's standard. If the devil can't keep you from doing it, then if you're going to do it, he'll try to kill you by doing it. Amen? He goes to the extremes in everything that we do. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Quit listening to the devil. If you're here today and you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, you have confessed your sin, you have confessed him as Lord, and you're doing your best, your best to live for him, you're saved. That settles it. It's done. Can I have an amen? But there's a lot of people wondering, what can I do? Jesus, come to the, Jesus said to the rich young healer, keep the commandments. Now, isn't that odd? 
Why would Jesus even say that kind of a thing? Because Jesus knew that you cannot be saved by the law or by the keeping of the commandments. Why did he say that? The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 3, and what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. It ain't me keeping the commandments that gets me saved. It's me accepting Jesus Christ who came on the cross, died for my sins, and abolished or destroyed the handwritings of ordinances against me and satisfied justice, satisfied law. Can I have an amen? The rich young ruler asked him which commandments. Jesus gives him six commandments. He quotes them. And we know that there are how many commandments in the word of God in the, in the, in the Old Testament? There are 10 but yet he only quotes six of them or mentions six to this man. Jesus was actually setting him up. You see, every commandment that Jesus gave him were commandments that deal with man's relationship to man. Notice, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor your father and mother. Every one of them are what? Dealing with man and our relationship with each other. I'm not to covet your possessions. I'm not to steal from you. I'm not to commit adultery with you. These are the things. It's man to man. There are six commandments to deal with man's relationship to man, six being the number of man. But then there are also four commandments to deal with man's relationship with God. Thou shalt not have no other God before me, number one. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Number three, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And when Jesus told him the six commandments, the young man replied, I've kept these from my youth. And Jesus knew that he kept them from his youth. As a matter of fact, when he asked him what commandments, Jesus said, you know the commandments. He very well knew that the young man knew the commandments and was living a good moral life. And he didn't question about his morality. Then Jesus says unto him, but there's one thing you lack. And here is where he deals with the relationship toward God. Jesus said, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. That is a heavy load. Here's a man that is very wealthy, very rich, and he's saying you lack one thing. If you're really going to be my disciple, take up your cross, follow after me, deny yourself, take what you have, sell it, give to the poor. There was a call and a mandate upon this young man to do this. How many knows if God gives you a call, he gives you the grace to do it in? He gives you the divine ability to do it in. But this was more of a test to see what the young man would do. The Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. The Lord did not send him away. The Lord did not tell him to, tell him to leave. The Lord did not reject him. Matter of fact, the Lord gave him a wonderful, wonderful invitation. He just says, take up your, come, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, get rid of the load that you're carrying. If you really want freedom, if you want eternal life, get rid of the load that you're carrying and come and take on, take my yoke upon you because my yoke's a lot easier than what you're burdened under. A lot of times we look at the things that we have as things that is the most precious things to us when in reality they're the things that's weighting us down. They're the things that's a burdensome to us. To whom much you have, the more you have, the more you gotta work to, to keep. Can I have an Amen. I have found myself working myself silly to obtain things, and then when I get them, I gotta work myself silly to keep them. Because then I gotta pay the taxes on them, I gotta keep the upkeep on them, I gotta, come on, somebody. And Jesus was trying to relieve him of a burden, but he's thinking, no, 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 he's putting a burden on me. He's going to bankrupt me, and I'm not going to have anything. And Jesus is trying to tell him that if you'll follow my way, my yoke's a lot easier than the yoke that you're trying to carry around in order to try to obtain salvation by all of your works and by all of what you're trying to achieve. 
You and I got to rest in the fact that Jesus Christ is our answer in everything. Can I have an amen? I love it, the version that Mark gives us in Mark 10, 21, when it says about Jesus concerning this young man, and behold, how he loved him. I never caught that before, and when I looked at that, I thought the master literally loved this man when he looked upon him, but yet that man went away sorrowful. How many church services have I been in when Jesus' love was expressed to that congregation through the preaching of the word of God or through song or through the extension of a manifestation of his presence? And yet he loved them so much, but yet people went away sorrowful because it wasn't that he rejected them, they rejected him. Can I have an amen? It wasn't that the Lord rejected this guy, but he rejected the Lord. He made his own choice to walk away from him because he did not want to count the cost of his discipleship. Why is it that we're afraid of discipleship? There are times when I was a younger Christian, I was afraid to carry a certain amount of money to church because I was afraid God was gonna speak to me to give it. (laughs) Laugh all you want, but I done it. But it didn't matter when I got there with nothing. He made me make pledges to give it when I got home. Hello? Why is it that we're so afraid to obey God? Because in obedience to God, don't we understand that it is not taken away from us. It is adding to us. I'm going to jump way ahead of my notes here just for a moment. And I'll close a little early this morning. But I want you to know it's the way of the transgressor that is hard. There's not, God at his worst is still greater than the devil at his best. Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen to that? And even though the devil comes along and gives you these fearful things and dials things up in your eyes and flatters you with all the modern day trinkets and even though there's pleasure in sin, but it's only for a Season. And then when you reap the consequences of it, you say, oh no, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to eventually reap. If you sow to the whirlwind, you're going to reap of a whirlwind. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. But if you trust Jesus and sow to the spirit, you shall reap of the spirit life everlasting. The thing that you've got to understand, God's speaking to this congregation, stretches. He's calling us to go deeper. He's calling us to go forward. But in to do that, we got to count our discipleship and we've got to be willing to let go of all of these things that's holding us back that is keeping us from the peace and the comfort and the rest of the Holy Spirit because they are materialistic things. It's bogging us down. Can I have an amen? Man's life consists in the abundance of things that he possesses. No, it does not. Can I have an Amen. The man that went away, he went away grieved in his heart because he had great possessions. He made his own choice to walk away from him because he did not want to count the cost of his discipleship. He wasn't willing to give them up. The kingdom of God is not just meat and drink and raiment and the things that we obtain in this life, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can live in a mansion with all the wonderful wealth of the world and be miserable if you want to with the lust of the cares of life or you can live in an ant, live in an ant hill in a shack with the love of God and the grace of God and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and live like a king. Can I have an amen? 
A man must lose his life in order to find Jesus Christ. If this life is all there is to it and if this life is all you have, then you're lost. You're lost eternally. Amen? Matthew 10, 39 says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It's a trust factor. It's being willing to take everything you have and just give it over to Jesus to find the rest and the comfort that he's talking about. A matter of fact, his yoke is so easy because what he's trying to tell you is that the things that I've got laid out for you, you're not even gonna be doing it yourself. You're gonna be yoked together with me and I'm gonna be doing it through you. It's his power that we're yoked to. Matter of fact, John even says, keep his commandments because they're not grievous, they're not hard. Why are they not hard? Because God has written them in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and they're a part of our nature to do it now. Can I have an amen? When you lose this life, you find your life that is in Christ Jesus, then you have found him, and to know him is life eternal. This man was rich, but even though the man laid up treasures for himself, he was not rich toward God. He knew how to keep the commandments that pertain to man, but he could not keep the commandments that pertain to God. He was morally good, morally upright, but spiritually lost. He was caught up in secular humanism, his thought, he thought his moral goodness to man would get him saved. His, this man did not want to abandon his belief or his control, you might say, and it was him that went away. He wasn't sent away. I want you to know he went away because of his own choosing. He did not want to sell himself out to the Lord and make him the Lord of his life. This is why that Jesus set him up to show him, the, the, show him the, the, his love for him. He was trying to say, you know what, you know, in pastoring or in counseling, when you're counseling with people and they say, well, the Lord told me this, what's well, hard to combat that? You know, when you say the Lord told me, well, we're done counseling. Why are you wanting to come for me for counseling that God's told you something? I'm not gonna tell you to go against the voice of God. Can I have an amen? But Jesus only asked him or told him the six commandments because he knew he would say, I've done all those my youth. If he would have gave him all 10, he would have still probably said that same statement. I've kept all these from my youth. He gives him six and then he gives him that statement about selling out to him. And then when he wouldn't, he was saying, aha, this is evidence that you've not kept all 10. You've only kept six of them. He was showing him his real failure that you're not willing to follow through in obedience to me and everything. Some men say, well, how about Judas? Was he not rejected from the Lord? Wasn't he turned away from the Lord? Some might argue, wasn't Judas Iscariot born to be lost? I've heard that all my life. Doesn't the Bible say I've chosen 12 and one of you are a devil? It does say that. Doesn't the Bible call Judas the son of perdition? Yes, it does. Let's look this for a few moments and then we'll close. Mark the third chapter in the 14th verse, it says, and he uh, ordained 12 that they should be with him that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Now, he then names the 12 that he sends out that he ordained and Judas Iscariot's name is among them. Jesus gave Judas power. He gave him power to heal the sick. He gave him power to cast out devils. He even gave him power and anointing to what? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when they came back rejoicing that the spirits were subject to him, they said, he said, hey, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. 
So all 12 of these guys' names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They received the anointing of God to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out devils. Judas was a converted man. You can say whatever you want. The devil is not casting out the devil. Matter of fact, Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He even said that you do not cast out the devil by Beelzebub, which is the prince of the devil. It's impossible. The Bible tells us very plainly when the devil entered into the heart of Judas in John 13 and 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now, at that moment, put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It was then that things began to turn bad. Don't give me this stuff once in grace, always in grace. It don't match up. Come on, somebody. If you don't believe me, go ask Judas. It was here at supper that the devil put into the heart of Judas to betray the Lord. And I'm here to tell you guys, watch out. Contend for the faith. Fight for the faith that was once delivered to you by the saints, the Bible says. Because the enemy is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour and he's out to steal your salvation. And as David cried out, oh Lord, let not my name be blotted out of the the book of life. At one time, Judas was a Christian. We know this because of what the Bible says in Acts 1, verse 25, when he was talking about choosing an apostle to take the place of Judas Iscariot. Listen to what it says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, the guy that we choose, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now, did you notice that, what it says? I want you to notice that it was, his, that it was a place of Judas's own choosing of where he went. He made his own choice because we're free moral agents, everybody in this building. God has given us the right and the power of choice. He's given us the right and the sense of choosing right from wrong. He's even given us conscience, which is the moral sense of right and wrong. And this is what happened to Judas because the Bible tells us that he chose his own place. You see, hell was not prepared for man. Hell was prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. And when man makes the choice to disobey God and to fall away from grace, he chooses to be lost and goes to hell as an intruder and as a transgressor and as a disobedient child of God. God does not send anyone to hell. I I often hear people talk about how can a loving God and a compassionate God and a forgiving God send so many people to hell? Well, a loving God sends no one to hell. They send themselves there by their own choosing. It's just simple, basic stuff this morning. I don't know why God put that on my heart. When a man makes his choice, then he's consigned to the place where sin must be punished. Amen? Either sin is rectified by grace through Jesus through the atonement of the blood of the lamb or it's got to be punished by judgment. Judas made his own choice. He went his own way. He did his own thing. He was lost like the old 1970s song we used to listen to all the time, I done it my way. Oh, that's not always a good way. No man is born to be lost. I done it my way. I tell you, have you my worst problem, when we buy things for Christmas for the grandkids or for the kids, and you know, or we buy something, it's, you always all gotta put it together now. Don't you see, have you ever noticed that? It don't matter what it is. 
I go, I went up there not too long ago and was going to buy a grill, and I said, I won't buy it unless y'all put it together. And they said, well, we'll put it together for a certain charge. I said, how much? No, thank you. You put it together and I'll buy it. Well, finally, I just kept an eye on it, and um, they, had a, they had one out there that was um, set there a long, long, long time, and I said, I'll buy that sample if you'll let me. They said, okay, so I went in to buy it. Somebody else had already bought it. Nah. So Jenny gets me one for Christmas, and guess what we have to do? We have to put it together. But they don't let Papa put it together. Because the first thing I do is I know everything. I throw the instructions away, and I do it my way. Ninety percent of the time, we're tearing it back apart because I put something before something else. Put the wrong screws in something and strip it out. Come on, somebody. Why is it that we can't follow the rule book of God? Why is it that we think that our way is always better than God's way? Even when it seems like it's hard to do, it's either easier than following the life of the transgressor. I remember going down through um, the Roar Gorge on a float in Colorado in the rapids. We're going down through there, and man, we're just beating and banging and carrying on. And all up on top of the mountain is a big round wooden tube that they made way, way back in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's the water supply. It was the water supply at that time that supplied the city down below. I think it was Cannon City, if I remember correctly. And for miles and miles and miles, that old wooden thing was way up on the side of those mountains. There's no telling how many people were killed putting that thing together, and they'd done it by prisoners. And prisoners was the ones that worked on it. They, they gave us the statistics of how many people fell and died. I forget how many it was. It was, a, it was a lot of people. And they would put this thing up way up on the side of this mountain and angling it down to there. And all over the place, you'd see where they had took stone and carved their names all over the rocks. Jesse this, Jesse that, Joe this. And just some of them was just so old you couldn't read them. But one of them just blared out. And I don't know how he done it, but he's still there to this day after 70 years or 80 years. He just put, the, the, the prisoner put, the way of the transgressor is hard. I thought, oh my goodness, how powerful that statement really is. Why is it that we don't understand that there's a rule book that we can go by and his commandments are not grievous? His, his uh, way is not hard. His way is, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Compared to what Jesus is asking me to do to what he's already done for me, what my goodness. How can I even ever compare or match up? Look what Jesus has done for you today. He went to the cross for you, took all your sins, took your punishment, took your beating. He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, the chastisement of his pieces upon him. Through your stripes, he's healed. How many has been blessed of the Lord? Then why would we even want to go anywhere else? Why would we ever even want to back up on the Lord? Why would we not want to follow our master's instructions? Every man everywhere has to be born again. No man is born to be lost. 
There's no man that comes into the world where they can say, well, he's consigned to hell or he's consigned to be lost. He's predestined. That's not true. Thank God for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'll close with this. No man that comes to him will ever be turned away. They came to him in darkness. They left in light. They came to him in slavery. They left in sonship. They came to him in bondage. They left in freedom. They came to him as a leper and they left cleansed. They came to him in their sin. They walked out holy. They come to him in their burdens, but they left in blessing. They came to him with care, but they left out with comfort. They come to him dead, but they came back alive. Death cannot stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. He never attended a funeral that he did not make a resurrection out of it. I want to tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He is life, and regardless of what they say, and what, regardless of what may come, what life may bring, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is our answer. He is our life. He that hath life has the Son, because he that has the Son has life. He's the answer to all things. There's no other place to go. When they came to Peter, and he said, Peter, are you going to leave me also? So everybody forsook him and fled. Peter said, whither do I go? Thou and thou only has the words to eternal life. So I'm here to say, God, I love you here today. You're stuck with me no matter what. You are not going to get rid of me. I'm going to be like a flea on a dog on you. I'm not going to be scratched off. I'm not going to be plucked out of your hand. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm going to rest in safety. I'm going to walk in protection. I'm going to walk in divine favor because I'm your child. It's not by my performance. It's not by, by my ability. It's not by my works. It's just by my choice and by me having a free moral choice. I choose to serve you. I may blunder. I may trip. I may fall, but because of my choice, you will reach down every single time and lift me up and pick me out and carry me if it's necessary because I choose to be your child. That settles it. It's not easy. Would you stand with me this morning?